everybody. You are listening to the Northern Miner Podcast, and I'm your host, Matthew Keeble. Uh, and we have another action-packed episode for you, fresh off our uh, one-year anniversary, so this is episode 53. Uh, Leslie will be swinging by with the latest edition of the Geology Corner. Uh, this one is going to be sort of a pan-Canadian uh, geological journey for us. Uh, Leslie just finished her... Um, countrywide summary of Canadian geology where she looked at the different provinces, uh, geological provinces, uh, some of the exploration activity that's going on across the country, and also talked to the provincial geological surveys about what sort of new uh, new understandings and ideas are, are coming around in academic geology as well. Um, so what we're going to do is Leslie's going to come in and we're going to have a chat on sort of what she's excited about, uh, what she's learned, um, and uh, sort of what exploration place stood out to her as she uh, did her cross-Canada journey on uh, on the country's geology. So, uh, and as we mentioned, and uh, we'll mention it during the segment as well. Uh, but all this information is going to be going into a really cool magazine um, on Canadian geology uh, that I know for sure will be running at our Canadian Mining Symposium May 9th in London, England. Uh, whether you can get that beforehand, I'm not too sure, but we are going to check in on that for you. Um, on top of that, I had a chance uh, to sit down with Travali Mining President and CEO, Dr. Mark Cruz, last week. Um, and uh, anyone who's tied into the industry, and probably those some who aren't, uh, will have caught the rather massive deal that Trevally cut uh, with Glencore um, in, uh, in in terms of picking up two new mines in Africa uh, for around $400 million in uh, total all cash and share consideration. Uh, so we'll uh, sit down with Dr. Cruz. We'll talk a little bit about the, uh, the synthesis and development of that uh, relationship with Glencore and how it sort of culminated in this uh, uh, transaction. We'll talk a little bit about working in Africa, uh, the two new mines they're acquiring in Namibia and Burkina Faso. Um, and uh, so it'll be interesting. And uh, we'll run uh, about five minutes worth of uh, comments from Dr. Cruz on the transaction, etc., um, which is going to be great. Um, and there is a longer form article I just put out on the website uh, with my conversation uh, with Dr. Cruz and Trevally. Uh, so do check that out at northernminer.com. As always, uh, please do consider subscribing, like us on uh, Facebook, follow us on Twitter, uh, check us out on YouTube. And please do rate this podcast on iTunes because that helps us out immensely. Um, but before we do crack in with our segments this week, I'm going to uh, dig into a little bit of macro. There's a few things we should talk about. Firstly, we should talk a little bit about, ah, surprise, Donald Trump. Uh, so <laughs> I guess it's been a couple of weeks since we had to talk about him. Uh, but uh, global equity markets are struggling to start week. Uh, people uh, who were tied into the uh, the newswire on uh, Friday will have caught that uh, Trump could not implement his uh, GOP healthcare bill. Uh, there was a little bit of a brouhaha. It had to be withdrawn on Friday. Uh, so that is sort of called into question Donald Trump's ability to implement his economic agenda. Um, the spot gold price briefly hit a one-month high this morning at around uh, $1,257 per ounce. Um, and analysts speculate that the overnight and early morning rally today on Monday can be directly linked to the failure of U.S. President Trump to push through the health care reform. Uh, the U.S. dollar subsequently slipped against the yen and the euro um, as the market quote-unquote recalibrates its growth inflation expectations noticeably for the United States. Meanwhile, the base metal complex was down about 2% this morning following negative sentiment in ferrous futures trading out of China. 
Steel prices are at late November 2016 levels, giving up most of the Trump reflation trade move. Uh, While well, a failure to push through the new health care bill by the Trump administration again on Friday has led to concern over its ability to cut taxes and spend big on infrastructure. Uh, supply concerns are easing for copper uh, as uh, workers at BHP's East Escondida mine in Chile are set to get back to work. Uh, meanwhile, Freeport McMorrin said that a nearly two-week strike at its Chero Verde mine in Peru has quote-unquote not materially impacted production levels. Additionally, uh, seaborne met coal producers will have their eyes on Cyclone Debbie. Uh, this is a tropical cyclone that is forecast to be a Category 4 storm as it crosses Australia's Queensland coast tomorrow. Uh, could have gusts of wind up to 280 kilometers per hour. Uh, rail lines and loading operations at ports have reportedly already been affected. And should the cyclone move further south, the impact could be quite severe, according to analysts. Uh, Chinese steel mills are apparently not yet worried, given the ample stocks they have on hand right now. But we will keep our eye on Cyclone Debbie in terms of its potential effect on the seaborne coal market, which could affect uh, Canadian major tech resources, which does have uh, significant exposure to coal. Um, so that pretty much wraps up our uh, our macro for the week. Uh, what we'll do now is we'll crack right in with Leslie's Geology Corner, wherein we explore the geological provinces of Canada and have a good chat just generally about some of the exploration plays that are going on in the country uh, and sort of wrap up uh, what Leslie's learned over her, uh, her rather lengthy journey uh, through the uh, geological surveys and uh, data mills uh, as she sort of puts together a, a map uh, of uh, what's going on in Canada geologically and how understanding has been changing, uh, what some of the exciting exploration plays are, etc. So uh, I will run that and I will see you after the break to introduce an interview with Trevally Mining CEO, uh, Dr. Mark Cruz. Here we are. We're back, actually in <laughs> yeah. studio this week. Not uh, yeah, not listening to those tunes. Yeah, yeah, there was definitely I tunes. Yeah, my iPod. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was, we could we could have had uh, some sort of background music. I could put it in after the fact. <laughs> no, those uh, those on-site ones are always fun because you don't know what quite is going on in the background, <laughs> and somebody always seems to drop something. Like it's like they wait till they have the recorder on to drop like eighteen glasses. I notice that like every time. I'm like, I don't you normally notice that in a. Uh in a restaurant or a pub. I guess it happens all the time. Yeah. But then you go back and listen to it and I'm like, who the heck is like juggling silverware in the background? Like, what are they doing? <laughs> and so I'm like, every time I It could I just be it, me playing with my ring or something. I just No, it was fun. definitely like, it was like plates. Oh, okay. And I was like, oh, what the heck is going on back there? <laughs> that was like the time we did it in Dawson at the conference for, in the Yukon. Yeah. And they were like deconstructing the tent behind us oh right yeah it was oh just, yeah that was terrible it was yeah it was it's post-production nightmares all over the place. <laughs> yeah. but that's what if you're a sound engineer where you record and and how you set up your recording is is even more important than post-production i have learned yeah yeah uh, through this process <laughs> so anyways enough about my uh my whining i guess um, but uh we are back for the geology corner yeah and yeah. i guess this week i'm gonna be dropping heaps of Rocks, dropping the hammer. Drop, dropping heaps of hammers yeah. on uh, Canadian geology. Yes, because you just completed your sort of mega article, right? Yeah, so yeah. I just did this brief uh, look at Canada's geology and metal districts, and I did it in 600 words, 1,600 words. And I got, I got an email back from one of the GSC guys, and he's like, congratulations <laughs> on summarizing the geology of Canada and metal districts in 1,600 words. <laughs> <laughs> and I felt really proud of myself. I'm like, yes. Yeah, that's, and I uh, did. So was there a lot of pictures? 
Um, no. No? Oh, wow, that's even more impressive. I yeah, there's it, no pictures in there. Yeah, 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 yeah. 1,600 words, just text. Because sometimes, in those cases, diagrams can say more than... I know. Oh, there will be figures. Yeah. Oh, yeah, because you're working on the maps. But you see, when we're talking about Earth's history, especially Mm -hmm. going back for beyond four billion years, Mm -hmm. um, it's going to require imagination. Yep. You know, there's that picture of like, you know, Star Trek with Next Gen or yeah, Star Trek Next Gen with Jean-Luc Picard and and Q and they're standing in the Archean. I've got that photo. Oh, nice. But everything else, it needs to be kind of up to the reader. And are you doing, uh, you mentioned you're doing something with geologic software or is there... Yeah, I'm just using some ArcGIS to kind of nice. map things out. So that'll bit. be pretty cool. Is that its own magazine or is it part of... That's going to be its own magazine. Nice. But then nice. I'll, I'll still funnel it into the paper for for the pleasure of many. Cool. So everybody keep your eyes open for that. Because yeah. it's... Uh, I don't know when that stuff's due out, actually, to be completely honest. Next month, I think. Yeah. Probably. Well, I know it's going to the our, our Canadian Mining Symposium in London on May 9th. But I don't know if it's going to have a run before that. So I'll have to ask uh, our editor-in-chief, John Cumming. You these things. Yeah, to see what sort of dates we have on that for everybody. But Um, the cool thing that I've learned about all of it is, like, now that I've really seen from a bird's eye view at a 1 to 500,000 scale of geology of Canada is, um, you know, all these major metal deposits. Yeah. Um, they, They clearly don't, like just materialize out of thin air you know they've all been developed because of some major tectonic event that had occurred over the course of canada's four billion plus year history now you're talking about the major base metal camps in yeah the east coast and then hemlo or uh boise's bay or boise's bay yeah, yeah you name it it's yeah. all of it there, there's a reason for it being there yeah. and i thought that was really cool so like I guess today it's like if we went to go find like a porphyry copper deposit or a VMS deposit today, mm-hmm. you'd clearly go to like, you know, South America where you have like subduction underneath the plate and or you go out to like PNG where Nautilus is exploring for a Solara one, trying to dig up this this VMS deposit that's forming at the bottom of the sea floor. And I mean it's pretty easy to figure it out where you'd go hunting for these things today. Mm-hmm. But where do you go hunting for the volcanic arcs that are, you know, 200 million years old or mm-hmm. 4 billion years old? Like, where do you go for that? And I clearly learned that it's, it's here in Canada. It's and in Canada. You, we have so much of it. And you just have to be really super clever to figure it out. Because the one thing I noticed is that, like I said, um, major tectonic events, um, a lot of these deposits in Canada, you see that they form along like the major catonic boundaries mm-hmm. and we talked uh, with Craig last week about that yeah. yeah yeah and and they form within suture zones of the terrains the individual terrains that make up those cratons so if you want to find a big deposit you got to know your craton map you got to know where those boundaries are mm-hmm. because they're falling along that sort of pattern they're, they're not they're not just like I said coming out of thin air they're they're following a feature that was created by something massive that happened in the past and regionally trending too. So it's not just confined to one small area. You could be looking at potential for this, um, for like kilometers upon kilometers across Canada. And obviously we've seen a lot of um, recent exploration stories around brownfield or old sites. Um, You're seeing a lot of activity around uh, Quebec now in in terms of people trying to revitalize 
oil camps and, and you're seeing it uh, even in BC with companies like IDM Mining that are looking at, at Red Mountain and stuff. But you're saying more so in terms of new discoveries. Well, new discoveries yeah. for sure. But mm-hmm. Brownfield, the other thing that I learned about Brownfield when I was doing all this sort of stuff mm-hmm. is just how... Okay, so everything that we have in the interior, right? Like mm-hmm. pretty much all of Canada has been like multiple, multiple massive Himalayan scale mountain chains. And they've all just been like eroded down to the core. So it's all flat. So you have a geologist and they're walking on the ground and they, they look like they're walking on flat ground. But in reality, they're actually walking and scaling massive mountain ranges, mm-hmm. right? Just by walking. Yeah. And so you could walk 200 meters from your major deposit and find yourself in a totally different erosional level, mm-hmm. right? Um, so, for example, if you're in a greenstone, depo- greenstone belt and you've got your orogenic gold deposit there sitting pretty in these green colored rocks that have been weakly metamorphosed, in those projects, it's actually really easy to walk like 200 meters and find yourself in upper granulite facies. And what would be an example of a... Of a oh, that would be James Bay. James Bay. James okay. Bay is a perfect example. Like mm-hmm. the further north you go in James Bay, suddenly you're getting out of green just real fast and you're going straight into super high temperatures where mm-hmm. no orogenic gold would survive. Yeah. So brownfield is one thing. Just because you have a massive package of rocks doesn't like to explore it doesn't necessarily mean that it's all going to be explorable mm-hmm. because you have to look at the press the erosional level mm-hmm. right of of that ancient mountain chain that you're looking at yeah uh, maybe you're too high maybe you're too low you got to look at metamorphism is another really big thing um, for any sort of deposit vms or gold or whatever um and yeah and so like i i really kind of learned and appreciated that so when people say we have a thousand square kilometer package in this really prospective thing then that's cool but i'd like to know a little bit more about what what's the metamorphic grade yeah right what are you guys looking at there what what's the impact there how much of that land is actually prospective because things change like like that in our key and then those rocks have just been banged up for like Friggin' three billion years. It's well, crazy. In- interestingly, we talked a bit about uh, that's sort of what Cisco Mining is doing with Windfall. Yeah. Just bringing a new um, exploration uh, idea to an older camp and finding something that might be potentially economic. I mean, some of the results they put out recently are pretty good. So. Right, because like we said, they're were, they were <clears throat> in old accreted volcanic terrains that mm-hmm. have been sutured together in gold. You know, it was generated from above, from metamorphism below, mm-hmm. generated, went up through these structures, deposit all this gold. Now, the volcanic, like that, that environment produced a lot of magmas. Yeah. Right? So yeah. you have this porphyry thing kind of coming up. You're like, oh, well, there's a perspective for porphyry deposits. But of course, it's porphyry archaean, which we've spoken about before, and they're not so common, and they're very, really ambiguous to put your finger on because they're so old and they've been reworked and re metamorphosed. And, don't really know if it's still a porphyry anymore, but that's why Osisco is looking at. They're like, this could be porphyry, which is why they're drilling like hundreds of hundreds of kilometers worth of meterage. Like, yeah, like in the you biggest look, drill programs. Like, well, you look at Barkerville by; they've got like a hundred thousand meters this year. Yeah. And I was talking to Chris Loader yesterday. He's like, yeah, well, you know, with these ore deposits, he says, you know, when, when you're dealing with gold, it's going to cost you, I don't know, twenty five million to get a million ounce and to indicate it. Wow. That is that's that's, that's, that's the Aussie score. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Pound but, the ground. Well, to be fair, one thing you, you should be noted, like in in Quebec, um, with how super flow through works, it's and the infrastructure, it's significantly cheaper. Yeah. Per meter, right? That's but true. On average, uh, yeah. not not all projects are the same. Obviously. Yeah, everything's going to be different. Yeah, but yeah. on average, it's it's per meter a lot cheaper. Um, so when you talk about some of this these new ideas and districts, and you were sort of looking at all of Canada, um, I know you've spoken a little bit about 
how excited you were about some things you found out in the Yukon versus the Barker Royal camps. Yes. Also a little bit about... Those uh, cut formal sequences. Yeah, got the, my emerging, eye every single uh, one. the emerging stuff going on in, in the north in terms of Nunavut and the Northwest and, Territories. Yes, totally, yeah. Um, is there anything else sort of exciting that you that might be frontier sort of? Or or you can just talk a little bit more about those opportunities maybe as far as new new discoveries going on in Canada right now, what you find exciting? Well, okay, just not exciting as in I got to go explore for more, but mm-hmm. I just think it's really interesting. Mm-hmm. Okay, so you know the Thompson Nickel Belt? Yeah. Okay, so super crazy belt. That belt is occurring actually um, along the edge of a craton called the Superior. Okay. Okay, on the eastern, also on the western edge, right, of yep. Superior. And, yep. and that was formed at around about 1 billion years ago when all the cratons in Canada kind of came together. Mm-hmm. To form like basically the core of North America. Yeah. So it was just kind of like that edge rifted open and all these like nickel rich, copper rich dikes and sills kind of plumped up through. And so you get this like really big, awesome belt, Thompson Nickel Belt. And that extends, of course, into northern Quebec. Mm-hmm. Um, and interestingly enough, potentially into none of it in Baffin Island, which is a new thing. Yeah. Right, yep. brand, brand new people. So mm-hmm. keep your eye on that space. Yeah. But you know what's so interesting mm-hmm. is that on the eastern side, the eastern margin of the Superior Craton, okay, we have Sudbury. Yeah. But so as as these dikes were coming up through Thompson Nickel Belt mm-hmm. one billion years ago, around pretty much the same time, a giant asteroid came down and landed like Smacked right it. in the middle of that margin again. So maybe there was already pre-existing. Like, you know, it and just got mixed up. All it just, yeah. <laughs> and then it just got remixed and, yeah. and redone. But I thought that was neat. And I was like, oh, I really need to explore that that edge of these cratons more, because maybe every single edge of the cratons in North America or in Canada um, have that little space where you can find a nickel copper rich sort of belt because it because, you know, you have these like cr- crustal chunks and then they've got basins surrounding it with sediments and then they rift open that that upwells lots of magma so it's a good environment Mm -hmm. so anywhere maybe along the edges of these things you could get magmatic nickel copper deposits i don't know but i thought it was really cool it's a nice thesis yeah yeah yeah. so it sounds like another phd paper (laughs) um and the other thing i guess uh plus asteroids are cool yeah interstellar (laughs) interstellar events i like that and and the other thing um craig mentioned last week uh from the mdru was that now a lot of people are having to do exploration undercover a lot right Mm. so there's new and and the, the question i always wondered is 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 people always talk about uh another copper discovery in canada anywhere <laughs> and it's mm-hmm. like you know you have um orico obviously doing work on comes um but a lot of that stuff's quite deep uh same with if you look at um seabridge it's very deep mm-hmm. i'm just wondering maybe if all the near surface copper has maybe. been uh has been found that's uh that's, that's well you look at of... colorado's ksb property yeah yeah and they've got this massive alteration footprint and mm-hmm. it's stellar they've got everything on that property from gold porphyry copper you name it but they really haven't dug into the big porphyry copper yet they haven't drilled that well, it takes a lot of money it yeah. takes a lot of money but they haven't yeah. really found it but everything uh, this is the best looking property in bc i think when it comes to porphyry copper well, it would be interesting to see i mean because um, people talk about and that's one of the things i just did uh, we were talking off off stage here, off out of studio about how I was doing that data article on, on financing. Yeah. And people talk a lot about how there's been a serious underinvestment in copper exploration. So it'll be interesting to see what we need from the market for them, for somebody to step up and fund exploration on something like what Colorado I don't, has. Man, just after what, like, 
Kakula is pumping out. Yeah, I don't no, think the need world needs another copper yeah, deposit yeah, after yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. Well, it is in the. It, it Which is, is crazy. In a, yeah, an interesting area. But yeah, I just <laughs> saw that crazy. that uh, the new result from the Kakula stuff. That thing just appears to go on forever. So it's uh, that's definitely. Yeah, it goes into the setting sun. Yeah, it just. Yeah, and it's takes a monster. the world with it. It's huge. Yeah. yeah. So. Well, it's interesting to see where that goes. I mean, Ivanhoe's fairly. I, I didn't look at the share price today, but fairly been on a run here. And it'll be interesting to see if anybody's interested in uh, JVing that or mm-hmm. or maybe taking it out. I mean, there's just not a lot of money out there's there. There's a lot of insecurity, I think, too, in the market with, um, you know, kind of that sort of investment. Like, look what's going on in Indonesia with Freeport yeah, right now. Yeah, the Grasberg stuff, yeah. It's, it's kind of scary when all yeah. of a sudden a country can turn and be like... Well, that's why I asked, like, maybe some maybe a major, in order to forego that sociopolitical risk, would want to JV something like what Colorado has in BC. Yeah. Not to say that there's not inherent or rising socio-political risk in BC because yeah. depending on who you ask <laughs> yeah sometimes Africa might be better but I mean it, it's know, all stay home yeah you know. stay home <laughs> and we've got some really great deposits like yeah. we've got some ex, like amazing SEDEX deposits some of the world world-class SEDEX deposits mm-hmm. world-class MVTs yeah um and like so base metals we've got that and obviously we got gold we got so much gold mm-hmm. um so it just seems to be like a lot more areas where you can move but you have to be clever and that's the thing you know in, in the drc like i said you just throw a rock and wherever it lands it's going to land on a world-class deposit mm-hmm. you don't need to like you need to be clever clearly but um it's the opportunity is there it's boundless whereas here in canada it's these rocks are old. They've been reworked. Yeah. So they've been moved around. So you got to know what you're looking for. So geologists, like, we can't get complacent when when we're exploring for deposits here because oh. the rewards can be huge. And plus a lot of the, the camps ready. in Canada have been fairly well drilled, um, especially in Ontario and Quebec, right? Because my dad always laughs that when he was my age, they were drilling all around uh, uh, Kirkland Lake and through Timmins and Mm. Nobody. They were the first people to drill out there. It was all greenfield, right in the in the yeah. mid seventies, through the early eighties, and then they found all the. To be I mean, honest, though, yeah. like I've been on a gold deposit where, like, we were in a gold deposit and we drilled a hole, and uh, we hit absolutely nothing. Yeah. And it was right in the heart of this freaking thing, and mm. I was like, "Why didn't we hit it? We, we, well, <laughs> we, we hit. We actually hit a, a dike um, going down through, but it was really minuscule. And it was if that had been your hole, you could have just missed the whole game." Oh, and the market really is uh, not particularly forgiving. No. <laughs> yeah. Right so now, that's especially. Kind of, that's kind of the thing. So when I when I yeah. say yeah, it's been drilled before, I'm like, well, has it? You always mm-hmm. got to kind of look at it with a little bit of a conniving eye and be like, hmm, well, yeah. maybe not. Yeah, especially yeah, yeah. That's why you always pound on the structural. Yeah, you got it. You got to know your structure. Well, yeah, like in that yeah. perfect case, the, that example, if we were drilling and it went to this massive shear zone. Yeah. And it just got real bad, and I was like, "Oh, this is not good because <laughs> nothing is going to survive this shear zone, right?" Yeah, yeah. And then suddenly it just went into this boring dike, and then it went out, and I'm like, "Yeah, guys, we missed it. We just hit a dike." everything's just been cut off right there that's it yeah but if you step out then it's there and sure enough it was awesome so it just goes to show you know you gotta you gotta know what you're looking at yeah and and mistakes will be made mistakes are all that's how you yeah learn. i love mistakes mistakes are the best yeah that's how we all learn i think yeah. but anyway so yeah i guess this has been a really casual just chill out 
let's have a gab. Yeah, and Leslie's everything. finishing the up Aussie her. Uh, well, it's good you finished up your whole can- Canada. Yeah, I got your figures journey. now, though. Um, so everybody, do look out for that. That'll be. We'll figure it out. I'll have it next week. I'll have a date for when this is all going to be coming yeah. out. Um, I'll ask John when I get off air here. But uh, it's so amazing. Yeah, do look forward to that. It's going to be an awesome magazine. I'm sure it'll look really, uh, really slick, colorful. When, yeah, yeah. When because Leslie loves the maps. The maps. And <laughs> it'll as be very. Craig colorful. said, "Get out your pencil crayons." Um, but uh, yeah, so this has been the Geology Corner. Uh, once again, hop by the website. Uh, do like us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter, and check us out on YouTube. Um, and look forward to the Canadian Mining Symposium May 9th in London. Check that out. It's going to be awesome. Yes. And welcome back to studio. So yeah, it's always great to touch base with Leslie because she's doing some awesome work, uh, sort of tying all that disparate information. I don't see disparate, but the geological information in Canada is sort of, you know, each province has its own geological survey. It can be a little bit all over the place. So for Leslie to go out, compile it, put it all together and tell a story is really cool. So um, if you want to check out our individual regional geology articles, uh, they're actually on our website now. So you can surf over to northernminer.com and all Leslie's work up to date, I believe, is up there. Um, she sort of started on the East Coast, I think, moved West, uh, and then finished off with uh, Nunavut and the Northwest Territories, I believe. Uh, so, so surf over to the website. You can check out all her stuff. Uh, probably just hit the search box and type in the jurisdiction you're interested in, and uh, a nice geology piece by Leslie will come up, sort of giving you the general layout, so sort of the geology 101, if you will, um, but also some really cool observations from her end. So it was great uh, to be able for her to sort of sit down and summarize all the work she's been doing over the past few months. Um, and now uh, we have an exclusive uh, interview that I did uh, with uh, Trevally Mining President and CEO, Dr. Mark Cruz. Um, and as mentioned, they had a, uh, it was about two weeks ago, I believe, they had a really big deal with Glencore, uh, wherein they paid about $400 million in cash and shares for an 80% stake in the Rosh Pinah mine in Namibia and a 90% interest in the Percoa mine in Burkina Faso. Now, if you want to break that consideration down, which is, is good because it's material, uh, Glencore will receive $244 million US in cash, plus 175 million shares of Trevally priced at a buck 20 each. Uh, that will result in Glencore holding a 25% equity interest in uh, Trevally. So that's that's the material part, is is they're essentially increasing that partnership. Um, and uh, it's really interesting. Uh, we'll get into it with Dr. Cruz. He's going to be on. I'll run a few uh, comments from him momentarily. Uh, but about how that uh, relationship sort of evolved Involved with Glencore, um, and that started with the Santander mine in Peru, as we mentioned, uh, where Glencore actually um, supplied the mill and, and some of the infrastructure for Tavali under a lease-to-own agreement, um, and then also uh, sort of expanded because they also have an offtake agreement, uh, as we mentioned at the onset, um, at the company's Caribou mine outside of Bathurst. Um, so uh, just sort of an emerging story here, uh, and uh, the interesting thing is uh, the acquisitions, when you combine with what Tavali currently has in their production stable, uh, will create a company that is forecast to produce produce 235,000 tons of contained zinc in 2018, and that equates to roughly 1.6% of global production. So this is a really emerging story, a Canadian story, uh, which I really like. I'd also like to give a shout out, uh, the Vice President of Investor Relations and Corporate Communications at Trevally, uh, Steve Staku, is a Northern Miner alum, so he used to, uh, he used to actually have my job. Uh, so I just want to shout out to Steve, thanks for setting up the interview and everything. Uh, it's always great to talk to people who uh, came from the Northern Miner uh, family uh, and have since uh, sort of stepped out into the business. So it's, uh, 
uh, it was awesome to talk to Steve as well. Um, but yeah, I'm going to run a few uh, uh, comments from Mark. Uh, but first, I just wanted to break down a couple other things. Um, in order to fund the transaction, Trevelli intends to raise $230 million via a bot deal financing priced at a buck twenty per subscription receipt. Uh, the main uh, book runner is going to be BMO Capital Markets. is taking 40% of the financing, while Scotiabank will take another 30% as co-lead. Uh, Trevally will also refinance its debt load with a U.S. $190 million senior secured credit facility that has a five-year term and carries a 3.5% plus LIBOR interest rate. And that's good because I think that significantly uh, decreases their cost of capital. They were operating under a higher interest rate previously. So as an upside to this deal, they have restructured their debt, um, which does look a little bit better on the balance sheet. Um, so yeah, without further ado, I'm going to run the uh, comments from Dr. Mark Cruz, President and CEO of Trevally, and I will see you after the break just to wrap up the show. No, absolutely. Um, really, you know, Trevally, we started working with Glencore in, in really 2009, but probably more so in 2010, um, when we uh, kind of formed a business relationship to build our Santander mine. Um, at that point, you know, obviously Glencore had a mill out of feed, we had a growing resource base, and uh, both sides put two and two together and got four. Um, and really, you know, the intervening period between then and, and, you know, kind of more recently, we have been working very closely together. Um, certainly, both sides operate in a similar manner. Um, most of us here at Trevally are ex-major mining company as well. So we kind of do speak the same language, which definitely helps or perhaps is a little bit different than most junior companies, I would argue. Um, and I suppose between this and the markets have been a bit of a roller coaster. So um, certainly, you know, there's been some, you know, hard times together and you really know who your partner is when, when the chips are down. And I think the one thing that both sides liked was that, um, you know, during the tough market conditions, um, you know, in the last couple of years, um, we just all worked together. There was no kind of recriminations or finger pointing. It was, okay, we've got a job to do. Let's get it done and move ahead. Um, so, you know, certainly, you know, dial it out to 2015 or a little bit after when, when Glencore acquired Extrata. Um, certainly, I'd seen it before that you know when you're forming a super major, things that used to make sense from a size perspective kind of don't anymore, and just because there's only so much management time in the day. Um, so certainly at that point, you know, obviously congratulated Glencore on on their uh, you know the takeover, and I just had the initial discussion that you know at some point it may make sense there may be assets there that no longer are an ideal fit, given that you know it's a new company at that point in time. And really, ultimately, that's what culminated in us starting due diligence on some of the assets. Um, really, you know, we've been actively looking at these since 2015, so it has been quite a prolonged due diligence period. Now, some of that was market-related. Obviously, 2015 was tough for the industry. Um, and then Trevally was focusing on um, getting its second mine, Caribou, up and running, um, which, which obviously had to be management's main focus. And really, the last kind of piece or the missing piece was when we declared commercial production at Caribou in July of last summer. Um, that's when we kind of reactivated the file, so to speak, and uh, both sides got really a lot more uh, serious about the due diligence process, which obviously culminated in the announcement two weeks ago now, I guess, or whenever it was very recently, um, about the acquisition of, of the, both the African mines. And kind of had a little had a little bit of kind of uh, exposure via osmosis to Africa, you know, coming from the Anglo-American stable, and um, so that was kind of the home home territory, so to speak. Um, so you know, reasonably comfortable there. Um, a lot of colleagues who, who still work in Africa um, are, are active there. Um, you know, specifically looking at Namibia, you know, no, yeah, very highly ranked. It's effectively like the, the Switzerland of Africa, um, very stable jurisdiction. Uh, since independence, has had numerous, uh, you know, democratic uh, presidents elected, um, and never any issues with it. 
Um, obviously, Roche Pinard has been operating without interruption since 1969, which again, you know, leads to some comfort that um, you are actively able to mine in the country uh, through various political upheavals and independence and what have you. And it always produced with, with no disruptions or no material disruptions right the way through its long history. And so, you know, really that was relatively easy. Um, obviously, Burkina, a bit more of an emerging mining jurisdiction, you know, very well known for gold probably in the last decade. Um, it, you know, Prakoa is the only zinc mine in, in West Africa, so it is a little bit of an anomaly. Um, but certainly, you know, a lot of the kind of gold mid-tiers, I guess, for want of a better word, have been very active in uh, Burkina. Uh, permits are coming through. Uh, people are buying mines, selling mines, and are active uh, active there as well. So, you know, certainly, you know, comfort level is reasonably high. You know, it is a little bit of a higher risk than obviously Canadian operations or Peru, but um, both well-known mining, mining jurisdictions. And um, certainly they've been working efficiently for, you know, many years in Namibia's case and certainly over the last decade in, in Burkina's. Certainly before we, we acquired these two assets, we've actually screened over 500 zinc assets globally. And the top two that came out were the two we acquired. That's obviously our filters, our perspective. It varies depending on company. Um, but what is difficult out there at this point in time is to acquire producing zinc assets, um, or certainly ones that can impact the forthcoming zinc cycle. So certainly to value's perspective, if it's a cycle or two out, we don't care. Um, because in the end of the day, we should have the cash flow, we should have the strength that we can pick up those assets at the bottom of the cycle. Um, so we're quite happy to let other groups um, focus on those ones and, and you know, obviously the best look to them. Um, but, but it is hard to core producing assets now. I think personally, you know, when the annual TC negotiations are out, you know, they're obviously a bit prolonged this year. They're probably going to be out in the next two to four weeks. Um, what we're hearing is material discounts in favor of the miners. I wouldn't be surprised if we see the next re-rating of zinc. And what we do know is when zinc breaks free, it tends to go uh, suborbital. I mean, it, it runs it runs very hard. So certainly that's why we're keen to acquire these assets when we did. Um, I personally think the window's shrinking very rapidly. So I think a lot of groups out there probably missed the window um, because, um, you know, once zinc takes off, everything's obviously going to cost more. And so, yeah, well, you don't really want to be acquiring things at top of cycle, or generally that's not a great idea. Um, but nonetheless, you know, all other companies will make their own decisions in that regard. Welcome back. And thanks again to the team at Trevally Mining and President and CEO, Dr. Mark Cruz, for taking the time to sit down and have a, frankly, very interesting conversation on zinc. Uh, we have been talking about it quite a bit recently. Uh, we've uh, discussed the uh, relative run-up in zinc prices and where they might go. Uh, we've talked about some of the supply concern to some of the major mines uh, like Scorpion, uh, shut down um, and what that might mean for um, you know anyone in the zinc business from exploration right up to companies like Trevally that have production um, and interestingly enough I've heard uh, and you heard uh, Dr. Cruz mention it at the end there um, but this is a sentiment I've heard not just from uh, companies like Trevally, but also other zinc producers, larger zinc producers, uh, for example, Tech Resources, that uh, there's sort of this sentiment out there that this window on uh, run-up in zinc prices is not going to be that prolonged. Um, and in order to uh, really benefit from it, you need near-term or in-production stage assets. So it, it's interesting because you might not see this huge inflow in exploration dollars into zinc necessarily. You probably will. But uh, as Dr. Cruz mentioned, Jared, during the end of his interview, that might be one or two cycles out two or three cycles out so it's interesting to see that um and it's sort of a sentiment as mentioned that i've heard more uh, more often recently is that okay yes there's going to be uh sort of a bull scenario in zinc but 
only certain companies with production likely or near-term production are going to benefit over this cycle. Though, as he noted, uh, I like the word suborbital, quote-unquote, uh, that Dr. Cruz used to describe the run-up in zinc prices. We all remember that from about a decade ago in 2006-2007 when we briefly saw that $2 level per pound zinc. So, uh, interesting stuff. Uh, and again, thanks to Trovalli for taking the opportunity to give us that exclusive. Uh, we do uh, do like the uh, the story here is uh, sort of an emerging, uh, emerging almost intermediate zinc player as mentioned they'll be the eighth largest producer of the industrial metal globally uh so a, a nice uh, nice canadian story there um and once again uh, thanks to them for taking the time um so that pretty much wraps up our show for the week uh just a few uh few housekeeping items uh as usual please do like us on facebook follow us on twitter check out our youtube and uh, like this podcast or rate it i should say on itunes uh and once again we mention this once a week but i'm really excited about it uh this is uh the canadian mining symposium it is our event our, our event in London on May 9th. Uh, we've got a really good stable of speakers. I believe we just added Rob McEwen from McEwen Mining uh, to a list of speakers that includes Lucas Lundin, Robert Freeland, David Garofalo from Goldcorp, and Calvin Jasinski from Barrick. Uh, we also have a great list of... Um, earlier stage exploration and development companies coming along uh, who will be making presentations as well. If you're interested in the list of uh, who's attending the Canadian Mining Symposium, uh, please do hop over to the website. Uh, we have a full list there. You can check out details on the event. Should be really exciting. Um, I will probably be there. We're working on it. Uh, we're hoping to do a live podcast from the event as well as some videos. So it's going to be really cool. Uh, so check that out on our website. Um, and yeah, this has been Matthew Keevil and this has been the Northern Miner Podcast. Thanks again for your listenership and we'll talk to you next week. 